How are you now? Um, I'm bad, and you? <laughs> I forget what the third line is. I think you're supposed to say pretty good. Pretty good, yeah. Um, so I, 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 I'm, uh, I, I think I'm on time today. Uh, yeah, not not bad. Uh, 10, 10, uh, 01. So yeah, we'll call it on time. <laughs> well, and uh, yeah, I mean, 10, 01 on the connection. I think I hit uh, call Dawn, which is the button I have on my Skype. Uh, <laughs> Hit the call Don button at uh, right at 10, 10 o'clock, I think. It was, well, not right at 10 o'clock, but like on the, right on it was the. Still, it was still but not 10.01 when you yeah. started dialing is what you're saying. Yeah. Let's call it the back end of 10 o'clock. <laughs> like, like it was, I'm, and I, I got to my office. Um, everything was set up because the last time I was in my office, we recorded. So that made it easy. Um, I just needed to sit down and, and connect my, my computer and, uh, I have my coffee. Everything's ready to go. I'm, I'm, it's a new, it's a new year. It's a new me. <laughs> it's <laughs> right. Right. It's going to, right. It's all going to turn it's all gravy. It's all, it's all roses. Gravy. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, yeah. So, so we were, I, I'm, I'm this, do you even know what day it is? I have the, I know this oh, is like an internet day, name. All day, of day of the week. It's Friday. Yeah. But it, it, I don't, it feels like a Monday. Oh, it, yeah. Uh, it feels all out of, out of whack. Yeah. I, uh, I, yesterday I had, um, I had a, a meeting, a couple of meetings and I didn't actually need to come to campus for it. I just went and had coffee and that was, it was great. And then I went home and I was like, what, what, like, what do I do now? Cause it's almost the end of the week. And all I have on, on my calendar today is talk to you. Um, and then, uh, so this is, yeah, it, it, but, but I feel like I needed to, um, the, my, my kids are at home. There's probably going to be nine kids in my house. Uh, cause that's, that's what happens, uh, in, in my neighborhood. And so I thought I got to get to my office. I got to go. Oh, so you're not recording from home. You're recording from oh. work. Yeah, I'm recording. I went to, I'm, I'm in the, I'm, I'm in the, uh, the bowels of, uh, of higher education. Uh, I'm in the, I'm right here. I'm right here. Um, yeah. Am I, so I, I think I told you a little bit about this. I, I look out my, my office window on, um, what is nominally an, an open lot, but over the last six or seven years has been filled with mulch from the Arboretum, the North Carolina State University Arboretum, which is right next door to my building. Um, but the the freeway or highway, I don't know, is freeways might not even be the right word. I'm trying to use an American word here. The the highway that's that's right beside my uh, my building is being expanded. And so in the next like, I don't know, two months, the two buildings that are across the empty lot are coming down with explosions. I think, um, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm the explosion part is just me hoping they're not <laughs> they're not that large, but they're coming down. And then this this uh, empty lot will become my parking lot. And we've got notification on the doors as I came into the um, into the building. And no, you know, uh, let's not. I don't, I'm not even worried about OPSEC because I think it's pretty easy to find out where I work. Um, <laughs> It's, on the, it's literally on the internet. It's on the internet. It has my has my address and everything. Um, but um, the my like the the road that I use to access my building will be closed. They're going to be doing utility work. That means the power might be off intermittently in between Monday and the seventeenth of January. So um, so this is going to be uh, an exciting time uh, here here at uh, in in the bowels of uh, higher education. You know what? When you when you mentioned um, when you mentioned the demolition, uh, I'm I'm thinking of that scene from The Wire, <laughs> where, where, yes. they, where they blow up the high rises. 
Yes. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty much like that. Or, um, and <laughs> I, I mentioned that we, Except without the drugs with less, way less drugs in the last, uh, in the last episode we recorded, I mentioned watching, uh, oceans 11 with my kids. And there's a scene where they blow up an old casino and, uh, same, same kind of thing. That's what I'm hoping happens, but it really is, is just, a a one one and a half story building. So they'll, they'll probably just knock it down with a, with a bulldozer or probably. something. Probably, I, but I want explosions, Don. <laughs> well, you should uh, you should reach out. I'm sure you can make that happen. I should, I should. So yeah, so there. So but my people are not are not here because it's uh, it's a weird work week, uh, being after New Year's before a, a weekend. So so I'm not. I, I I decided I'd come here and um, avoid all the the million children that are in my house and uh, and sit and and chat with you. Uh, <laughs> but although although sitting and chatting with you was planned, uh, but I w- I figured I'd do it here. But I had to put pants on. I'm wearing well, I was wearing shoes. I could wear shoes to get here. But as as listeners of the podcast know, if you go way back into the archives, I like to take my shoes off while I while I record podcasts. So so they're off. Um, I stopped at, at Starbucks on the way here and, and got my, I, I didn't go to Starbucks at all over the last like three weeks. Cause I just made a lot of coffee at home. So, so anyway, this is, I'm back in, in, as they say, the swing of things. Cool. What cool. are you doing? You're at home. I'm home. Uh, I'm, uh, looking out, uh, from my two office windows, um, that I, I often look out from, um, Bianca is downstairs. Uh, Gibbs is uh, my trusty, <laughs> my trusty, trusty dog is by my side. Gibbs oh. is by my side. He was he was snoozing in the other room, but I went down to get another coffee in preparation for this, and he woke up and then he came back and um, he lays in his little dog bed and he stares at the wall because uh, he's a, he's a weird freaking dog. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's good though. It's good to have. Uh... Um, dog stare at the wall. I, my, my dog, uh, doesn't, you know, we'll watch TV and he just looks at other things like just something on the floor. Maybe it's going to move, not, not the television, uh, or, or anything like that. Um, so yeah, Stanley, Stanley, I think is really going to miss the, uh, holiday break because for the last two weeks, there's been like millions of people in our house. And so he's, he, he'll run around for, uh, about four minutes and then get tired out and go have a nap. And, hmm. and now he, he'll miss those four minutes and, and nap for like two hours. He'll miss those four minute uh, uh, running intervals because uh, there won't be as many as many people around. And we are our, our break from hockey uh, and ended last night. So we're we're back in practices. Both my kids play this week outside of of Raleigh. So we're uh, we're, we're back uh, the next two months on the on the hockey grind. Mm. Yeah. Wow. It's, I get tired just hearing about it. <laughs> it's, it, it, you know, it's not, it's not that bad. It's, uh, it, it, it is, I, I think the, the thing that I realized the most is how much time I, I used to have when I thought I didn't have time. And then when, when we add on, I, I guess it's probably between the two kids, you know, driving back and forth to the, to the rink, getting dressed, getting on the ice, being on the ice and then coming home. It's probably about 20 hours a week. Um, and, 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 and so when, when I thought when we, when we don't do it, it doesn't seem like I have an extra 20 hours a week, right? Like it, it's not. And then when we do do it, I don't feel like I'm any more rushed. I just, I, I guess I, I waste more, not waste more time. I just, we have more time to, to pause or something, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's not, I, I make it sound like it's bad, 
after not doing it for a couple of weeks and then having a practice last night, I, I real a couple of practices, I missed it. I really enjoy getting on the ice. I li- like it's, it's a, uh, the kids have a lot of fun. You can kind of like joke around with them and, and it's, yeah, it, I don't know. It's, it, it, I, I enjoy it and it doesn't feel like it's, it, it's uh work. It's a, it's a long season. So there is a, there is a part that feels like you just do the same thing over and over again. That's the grind part, but it's, it's, I don't know. It's not that, it's not that bad. It's interesting that it's 20 hours a week. That sounds, uh, that's just, I can't believe that you can, I, I mean, I, if you told me I had to find an extra 20 hours a week, I'm not sure I could do it. You could do it. You, you would. Um, so I, I think the, the biggest thing, so what, what it looks like for us Monday to, to Wednesday, uh, or Monday, Monday to Thursday, I guess, is, um, I, I leave my office or if I'm at home, I, I leave there, you know, and, and go pick a kid up or a kid comes home and then we go for two and a half hours somewhere else. And then we come home and make, make dinner and watch lost. Cause we still haven't finished that show. Um, <laughs> after in we're we're in season five or something. Um, and, and then the kids go to bed and it's nine 30 and Dana and I watch an episode of the crown and, and that's it. Like that's kind of, so, so it's not that it's the, the gap from about four until eight, we, we fill, um, with these, with these other things. And I think what I used to do is I would come home and I would watch three episodes of the office or watch CNN. And so I don't do that now. I'm you know, for, for this, um, five months that, that we have the hockey season. I just, I'm, I'm out doing something, um, and, and not, I may come home and after I eat, I'll go for a run as opposed to going to the gym at that, like at that time. Um, and, and yeah, so you could find 20 hours a week. Yeah. Well, if, if I, yeah, if I, <laughs> like, if I cut out the, if I cut out all the television time, uh, yeah, for sure. I, I could find 20 hours. You would, yeah. yeah, you, you wouldn't, uh, th- there would be no British detective series. Oh, well, uh, so what, Friday. what we've been watching lately is not British uh, TV. And it's another one of these shows that, um, my, my son, uh, told me about, um, have you heard of the Orville? No, no, but I saw you put this. Okay. So tell me about the Orville. So the Orville would be like, if, um, <laughs> literally like if a uh, family guy, um, was, was set in the, the, the Star Trek universe. <laughs> okay. So it- it's, uh, it's an, I'll read to you from Wikipedia. It's an American science fiction comedy drama, uh, created by Seth MacFarlane. Right. Of family guy. And it's very, uh, it's, it's not as funny as you would have thought. But it's 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 kind of like an edgy it's an edgy Star Trek. I mean it's it's a it's got it's just a huge it's it's really a a, a Star Trek parody um, with uh, with with sort of Seth MacFarlane's kind of humor. But it's it's really it's quite it's quite watchable. It's quite bingeable, as the kids say. Um, and yeah, we're enjoying it. We're enjoying it more than I thought we would. It was one of those things where I, I said, "Hey, let's let's try this." Um, because I know Kristen likes uh, science fiction stuff, but I know she's not a huge fan of Seth MacFarlane, you know, style humor. But uh, but it's actually uh, we're, we're actually enjoying it, and it's yeah, it's I don't want to I don't want to spoil it, but this first episode, but it's just it's just got an interesting uh, cast and the interpersonal dynamics between the people on the cast is good. You know, they've got a they've got a, a Data slash Spock uh, character, they've got a Worf style character. It's uh, you know, it's 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 fun. It's fun. Cool. 
And you, you watch this on the where, where are you streaming? Oh, this? oh, you, so yeah. th- oh, now this has an interesting link. So the reason why I started watching this is because it's on Hulu. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I started watching Hulu. I got, so I got I got I got a month. So the reason why we're binging it is I've got a month of free Hulu. And the reason why I got a month of free Hulu is I it was the easiest way to start watching Little Kenny. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah. And so I'm like, well, I really want to. And so I watched like one episode of Little Kenny, which is about was about two minutes long, and 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 like a half a season of The Orville. <laughs> <laughs> and did you? Okay, so the, not not to. Uh, go too much into our, our streaming preferences, but you got, I mean, you watched the Mandalorian, so you got Disney plus, um, sort of, let's just you, say you watched the Mandalorian. Let, let's just say I watched the Mandalorian from, yes. um, a device that's that I, that was not located anywhere near me that might've had some things fall off of a truck onto it. Off of a TV truck, uh, yeah, uh, a, a television yeah. show truck, yes. Yeah, okay, cool, okay, because because you because they've got a a thing where you you get the Disney Plus and then you get the Hulu together, right? For, right. Say yeah, you know, whatever. I, we already have we're we're we we um and we we have talked about this, but I know you can't cut the cord because of um uh, Kristen's uh, sports sports viewing. So, but we we're a Hulu live. Uh, family and then and we we did subscribe to um, to Disney Plus and have been uh, streaming that uh, and and watch the Mandalorian. But yeah, so so if you're if you're ever interested, I, I in in that there is a there's a there's a deal there's a there's a thing. And yeah, I and, I, and I've tried I've tried to because Chris Kristen is a bigger Disney fan that than I am and has had stuff on videotape. You know, many of the Disney animated things on videotape and and has them now on DVD. And I tried to sell her on on Disney Plus, and she's like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't want to give them any more of my money than I already have." So it's like, okay, well, that's fine. fair enough. Yeah, I'm not gonna push uh, it. So. so, so we haven't. I mean, I know you watched The Mandalorian. I loved it. Uh, my kids were really, really into it. We haven't talked too much about it. I thought it was like just in, insanely good storytelling and and a little different than than Star Wars, but lots of Star Wars Easter eggs. Um, we finished it uh, a couple of nights ago. And, uh, and then we saw the, um, the, uh, rise of Skywalker and, and no spoilers, but it's good. Uh, yeah, we're, I'm going on Saturday. It, enjoy it. It's a, it's a people, people on the internet cause they're on the internet and they, they like to be angry about things. Um, and there's so many other things to be angry about on the internet than star Wars storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people don't like it. And, and, uh, and, and I, I talked to somebody, uh, you know, at, at holiday gatherings, as you do, because uh, the people that I that I run with and not not run uh, physically, but run in the circles socially with there, there are some uh, Star Wars fans. And what, one of the people either said that they were listening to a podcast or this was his thought was like, we all have to remember that Star Wars is is built for 12 year old kids. <laughs> Like if you're a 45 year old and maybe you told me this, um, if you're a 45 year old man getting upset about, uh, this, um, it's, it's not for you. Did you tell me that? I think that might've been Merlin man. It might've been. I see it's someone I heard as someone I talked to on the, on the internet in my ears that Mm -hmm. he, he mentioned it and it's like, we were having a conversation and I agreed. It's true. It's true. It is not, it's not for, uh, my kids loved it. I enjoyed watching it with them. All of it. So, yep. Uh, so, so I hope, I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, uh, yeah, we, um, we're watching, we're, we're almost caught up on the crown. Have you watched the third season of the crown? Did you watch, Uh, we talked about this. Did you watch any of the crown? uh, 
I want to say I get confused with all these different shows. I think we've watched the first season of The Crown. But it's with the British woman who's it, the queen. Right, right. Yeah, I think we have watched it and we stopped watching it because Kristen didn't want to watch it anymore, I think, because everybody who listens to this podcast knows she kind of it mostly controls the television. So although right. occasionally I can get her, you know, into something that, that I'm, I'm into, too, like the Orville. But yeah. I, lo- I really liked it. Um, I thought you were going to say that, that Kristen didn't like it because, as, as we all know, Kristen has trouble when when the bad people are portrayed <laughs> as the good people. And I didn't know which one was which in the monarchy story. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I think it's just she, the characters have to be – there has to be at least some likable character somewhere in there. And, and maybe <laughs> the, in The Crown there wasn't. I don't know. I have to have, to, I have a conversation with her about why we stopped watching it. But yeah. I, yeah so So I like it. Um, Danny and I watch, watch it together. The kids are not into it cause it's, it's the slow moving, um, you know, oh, yeah. drama, oh, yeah. historical drama, which is not their thing. They're, they're much more into laser guns and <laughs> lightsabers. Um, and there's just a lack of both of those in the crown. Yes. I, what I really, <laughs> if, if it had them, it would be a completely different show. It would, it would be, it would be, it would be the space crown. Right. Um, but what I really like about it is, is they, and, and this is, I'm sure exactly what they were trying to do. And I have read almost nothing about the crown, but there are these historical events that either I had heard a little bit about, but didn't know about, or had never heard anything about. And, and they take that at, for each of the episodes and make that a, a focus. And so we watched an episode, it's in the, in the third season about a, a, a Welsh mining town that had um, uh, an explosion in the mine and then a, a landslide down this down this um, hill into the town and it and it killed a bunch of kids in a school and and anyway I'd never heard of and of course I've forgotten the name of it um, uh, Wales mine explosion uh, but it was a really like I, the Aberfan disaster uh, as it's known on Wikipedia. Um, it, it was, I didn't know anything about it. It happened in, in 1966 as being part of the monarchy growing up in Canada. Um, the, wait, the you were Aber- part of the monarchy. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we got her. She's on, she's on the money and everything. Oh, I mean, I thought you meant you personally were part of oh, the monarchy. Oh, I'm uh, I guess I'm a subject of the monarchy. Okay. I don't know. Is okay. that, is that the right term? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have a, I don't have a style. Um, I think that's, see, I've looked up all these words now that they talk about how their name, the naming conventions, we're not in the monarchy, but I didn't know anything about this. And, and so this, uh, I, I, you know, it was, it's interesting to look at, at these semi, you know, it's a real event in a semi fictional way because the, the, uh, the, the, the producers and, and the writers are putting, their thoughts of what's going through the conversations, what's the, what, 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 what's happening, what's going through everyone's mind in, in these events. And I, you know, I'm learning about these things that I didn't know about. And we just, I just wasn't exposed to in, in my Canadian history where we learned about the, um, the, the Northwest rebellions, which is uh, something that happened in <laughs> against the Canadian government. Uh, but yeah, so anyway, did, had you ever, did you know anything about this Aberfan disaster? Not a thing. See, it's, you've watched the watch the show. I won't spoil it. Well, maybe I have spoiled it. There's a disaster. People die, and then the, <laughs> you're, and then spoil, the queen. you're spoiling a historical event from 1966. <laughs> exactly. Who know who? That's like, you, it's like complaining about Chernobyl. People talking about Chernobyl. How did that turn out? Yeah, I thought I don't think it. I think I think it ended not well. There was a lot anybody, of radiation. Did they save it? Did they get? Did anybody save the save the disaster? Anyway, 
Um, so yeah, I, th- that part I have really enjoyed m- more than I thought I would. And I actually didn't even know what, what, what I was getting into watching the crown. I was like, Oh, it's going to be talking about like all the, yeah, uh, a, uh, a docudrama uh, of what's what's happening when you're in the monarchy, and it's not just about that. It's about all these uh, historic events that become landmarks in the in in the the queen's in the crown in the in the queen's tenure. They're old though, like any day we we could have uh, the uh, the prince and the queen could be could die. So um, and that I, I wonder it's going to be one of these things where as a Canadian. It's going to be this weird emotion of, oh, well, that's the queen and, and she died and we're in, we're in mourning. But really, there, it's a, the monarchy doesn't really affect the, the Canadian day-to-day life other than procedurally. And, it, yeah, I don't know. So I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for, for what happens next. So I wonder – so Prince Philip, he's the guy that's in a little bit of trouble because of the uh, being on the Epstein plane, right? Well, no, that's the other prince. That's the other prince. I'm getting th- yeah. They're, it's very confusing. Prince Philip's a really old one. He's 98. Okay. Who who's the who's the Epstein prince plane? Andrew. Andrew. Prince Andrew. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, he's on the. He's a. He's a. Uh, yeah. He's on the plane. Okay. And did you watch? <laughs> so, did you watch the interview with him? That uh, was. Uh, I I, only, I learned about the interview from from Dubai Friday. Uh, and and Alex uh, Cox talked about it. But you should watch his interview. Cause it's, it's, uh, delightfully, um, uh, awkward. And by delightfully, I mean, wow, this is, it's like a, it, it's like the, an, an office episode. Mm. And then, and then you think, oh, whoa, there's like a lot of, there's a lot of seriousness behind why this is a super awkward, uh, interview, but you should watch, watch the, watch the, the, um, the interview. Okay. Well, yeah, I've, I only watched the internet's reaction to it. So yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the way it's the best way to that's do it. How I experience all of my news. It's true. It's true. Um, so yeah, so that's, what's, that's, what's going on. Um, I, I, I have, Oh, I got something in, in my office, um, here, um, that I want to, I want to tell you about. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm so, so I'm doing, I'm doing a new, new kind of project. Okay. Um, I'm working with uh, a, a friend, uh, another professor here at NC State. His name's Rob Dunn, and I think I mentioned a little bit about him in an earlier episode. He he's probably best known for uh, belly button microbiology, um, and uh, some some he he does uh, microbiome work and genetic diversity. And so so he did this project a few years ago where. Uh, if you wanted to participate as a citizen science project, if you want to participate, his group would send you a swab and you'd swab your belly button and then send the swab back. And then they looked at geographic differences and what's in people's belly buttons. Cool. Not a, yeah, yeah, it was cool. It was not a, uh, not a Gerba style, um, uh, uh, type project. It wasn't like, oh, there's bacteria everywhere. It was, Hey, there's a lot of bacteria in your body, on your body and in your belly button. Let's find out. Cause we don't know anything about it. And yeah. where does it matter where you grew up? Does it yeah. matter how old you are? All that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he, he, um, uh, over the last little while, I might've talked a little bit about this project, but, um, he's been interested in spices and historic, meals and, and he's, he's opened up or historic like foods. And so he's opened up this whole new, um, world to, to my group of 
the types of foods that were eaten in Mesopotamia and the types ancient ancient recipes. And and so we we've been working with a local a couple of local high schools on um on on spices and what they mean to the microbi- microbiology of a of a dish and like the preservation did the you know what does salt do in this specific dish um from a microbiological standpoint and it's and it's more nuanced than like oh it promotes the lactose it's like well what else is growing and what does it do is there is there fermentation that's happening is there not um and so we made this like uh just to to try out an idea i made this um Kind of like a a soup, um, a cold soup, like a, a gazpacho type type deal, with grapes and olive oil and milk, and then let it rot, and then they're doing some whole genome sequencing on it. So, so that was you know a, 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 the start of this project. Well, what I have today is we found another recipe. So we started. Um, Rob also knows because he knows kind of everybody um, knows a guy uh, who works on um, like the, uh, he's an archeologist, like Indiana Jones style. His name's Tate. Um, and he, he looks at excavating, uh, these old, um, like ancient civilization ruins and looking for what they were making, what, what were the cooking vessels like and what kinds of foods could they be, um, eating. And then uh, he's in sort of Tate's in this sort of world of other, um, uh, other individuals who look at ancient texts to get a sense of recipes. Anyway, so I'm going to send uh, a link that we'll uh, um, have for show notes. And um, we, so so Rob and Tate and Natalie, who, who you know, um, Natalie Seymour, who's in my group, we we got together right before Christmas and started talking about what we're, what are we going to do next in what we are nominally calling the Spices Project. And there's um, a an article in, um, and this is where no one, no one in our group knows how to, um, to pronounce this. Is it lap, lapthams quarterly, lapums, lap, lap, laphams quarterly. Are you familiar with this, uh, with this periodical? I am not. Oh, it's like, it's like the New Yorker. Okay. And, but it's a quarterly. It's a, um, and so, so anyway, the, um, the article that I, I just sent you is called the ancient Mesopotamian tablet as cookbook. And so there are some folks at, um, I think it's Yale, yeah, Yale, um, who are looking in these old, um, tablets, the Yale Babylonian collection, uh, and, and making food out of it. And they've got a, a cooking class where they make this stuff. Anyway, we are making, um, something called Puhati, which is a stew of lamb. Rob's- I was really hoping for the donkey dung on bitter garlic and chaff and spoiled milk <laughs> myself. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, we we decided on something a little simpler, um, but uh, so so anyway, we're making something called puhati stew of lamb, and and it, it, the here's the the recipe: stew of lamb. Meat is used. You prepare Good. water. You add fat. You add fine grain salt, dried barley cakes, onion, Persian shallot, and milk. You crush and add leek and garlic. And so so the questions that we're that we're really interested in. Um, that Rob Rob has interest in and, and and we're we're sort of helping with is there there's in there's lots of um, 
and, and this is something that you're familiar with. There's there's lots of publications in the microbiology scientific literature about uh, like allium extracts and their antimicrobial properties, right? And so if you if you if we look for um, the specific compounds and you you take it out and you add that in and you try and grow bacteria, well, it doesn't grow really well. But what what we, there isn't a lot of literature about is is and this is where where my group where we do a lot of work is well what does it practically look like and where rob wants to know is okay so the pathogens don't grow but what else grows and, and are is there does it promote competitive um a, a exclusion somehow and what what if we started knocking out and you know in this in this um experiment we're going to knock out leeks and garlics and shallots does it does that matter um, with this with this food? Because um, back in Mesopotamia, and you know this, and this will sound super obvious, but there's no refrigeration. Um, they would they would make this stew and consume it. Yeah, when they made it, but also maybe transport it, um, maybe eat it for if if this was a feast for days afterwards. And what what was the what was the spoilage attribute uh, of this? What is the foodborne illness aspect of it? What do we know about it? And so, so anyway, what I knocked against my, um, my microphone was I, last night I made dried barley cakes and dried barley. And what I, what's left is in a jar, is some dried barley cake flour or dough, I guess it's not flour. And so, um, in this article, they talk about how they made, um, it's called uh, Riznadu. They used parboiled barley mixed with emmer flour and fat and toasted into small hard cakes. And the, the issue is, you know, it's not like recipes of today or cookbooks. Um, we're, we're trying to recreate stuff from translations and translations and, and not, you know, not, no, no one's using um, – it's, it's definitely not SI units. There's no milliliters anywhere here. And you're trying to like – guess at things. So, so I, I mean, I essentially made, I par parboiled some barley. I found a couple of, um, uh, other recipes for, for toasted st style hard cakes. They're kind of like, they're more like more like biscuits or scones, I guess. Um, and then made this stuff. But what, what Rob and, and Natalie and I talked about, um, yesterday was, well, maybe there's something about these cakes that, you know, may, if, if we think about it uh, like um, a uh, – is it possible that we're looking at like a sourdough type type flavor? Is it a fermented um, – you know, once we mix this this parboiled barley with this emmer flour and the fat, uh, is it a starter and we're just going to leave it? So so that's what I've got. We, we've made some – what we might, you know, consider to be some some a little bit of starter. Uh, but we're, it, we're, we're doing this because I, – I mean I think that it's – I, I, I'm, I've always been interested in sort of the, the history of, of food and food safety. Rob, as, as I've talked with him, he comes at things from a really different perspective. And I mean, we were even talking yesterday about, um, curing foods and, and how, uh, our, our U S regulation has definitions for curing. And, and so you know, we talked about uncured bacon. And, and that, that it's, it's really the same as cured bacon, but they're using a different curing agent, like a celery salt, as opposed to a pink salt nitrate. And he's like, I had no idea that, that, you know, I just thought it was like yeah, uncured, right? Like that it's, it's just bacon without any sort of uh, addition of curing. And, and, and so, so this kind of like, I, this is one of the things that it, it may sound a little esoteric in the, in the world of academia, but I've, I enjoy 
having these conversations because we might actually learn some stuff that's not in the literature about um, what's happening in these dishes and then being able to apply those. And, and this is where Natalie and I have kind of got um, interested and excited about it is that it's it's not too far off that I'm going to get a question from a restaurant who wants to make like puhati or and and then hold it at room temperature because that's what it was what it was like um in in ancient times and and look for a variance to the um to, to the food code and and so now we you know what we're trying to do is is develop some of these ideas um and and I guess understand them a little more um but but it's it's kind of fun to like tell the story of it as well so yeah so anyway. cool yeah. So, so I don't know, I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know if we're going to learn much, you know, much about it. Um, but, but we're having fun. This is why we have our kitchens is to play with these things. Yeah. Yeah. Now that you got the kitchens, you might as well, might as well use them for stuff. <laughs> exactly. It's good. Um, it's good to know. I've been reading more about, um, uh, donkey dung and, uh, the still hot bread and the buttock of a donkey stallion stuff with dog poop <laughs> and the excrement of dust flies. And that those are all joke recipes. <laughs> Apparently, okay. Okay. those are not real recipes. The real recipes are much more uh, uh, normal sounding, uh, as as you've been talking about. So yeah, this is this sounds cool. Is it donkey? Are you sure it's squee and donkey dug, or is it donkey dung? Donkey dung, donkey, donkey dung. <laughs> it's like Donkey Kong. It's like Donkey Kong. Got it. Got it. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's what uh, that's how we're getting back to the the years, messing around with this, and um, and and also using it as a way to. Uh, to teach about how we do science to to high school students um, and, and and you know and, and like yeah so so anyway we're, we're we're expanding our horizons a little bit cool and having fun with it um, so so we got so we talked about the Orville um, there's there one okay so this this one um, I, it's a, it's a bit of feedback but I want to I want to start start with this if you if sure. you're okay yeah but, go for it. Um, and so you got an email, this, this, uh, piqued my interest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll read, uh, it doesn't say anything uh, about who it's, who it's from. So we won't, uh, or it does say who it's from, but I won't read or read this person's name. Um, Dr. Schaffner, my husband and I have a small farm in X County and are interested in selling processed meat rabbits for human consumption. It's our understanding that we would need to sign up for voluntary inspection with FSIS to comply, comply with federal and state regulations. Could you please send me the following information? One, instructions for applying for FSIS voluntary instruction, if this is needed and what do we need to do to comply. Um, and uh, they, they note that they intend to use a third-party butcher. Um, and two, are there additional regulations we need to be aware of to legally sell rabbit meat for human consumptions in New Jersey? And we'll, you know, we'll say with your, with state, with, in your state. So I, this, this was, so, so tell me about, tell me about this one. So th- this came in uh, to my inbox on um, uh, the day, two days after Christmas, and I didn't, I didn't look at it or do anything about it. And as I was kind of restarting my brain and getting back into the workflow of things, I was procrastinating doing something else. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I don't know the answer to this person's questions, um, but let me see what I can find out. And so I did, and it didn't take, it didn't take a a huge amount of time, but it did take some time. But then, you know, it's the kind of thing where it wouldn't take me that much time because I've been doing this for so long and I kind of know it's like I, you can, I can Google stuff, but it might, but my Google might be different than the Google of a, of a person that didn't know what they were looking for. Right. Um, and so I just, I just, it was just such an interesting question. Um, and I, and I, you know, I just figured it would be worth talking about on the podcast. Um, and the first thing 
that I absolutely want to do, which is what I did for this person, is I I mentioned the uh, Niche Meat Processor Assistance Network, um, which is just a an amazing amazing group of people who are basically, um, as the tagline on their website says, helping small scale meat processing, helping expand small scale meat processing. So people who are doing stuff like these, these folks, um, by basically farming rabbits, um, this has become a real and a thing, a real thing. And actually, it kind of dovetails nicely with some of the stuff that you're doing with uh, recipes on cuneiform yeah. tablets, right? Because people are looking, people are looking to do innovative stuff, and restaurants are looking to source, you know, artisanal meats, right? And and looking to do innovative things. And so, um, I found out about this the the niche meat processor assistance network, um, and I just immediately thought well, this is such a great idea because honestly. When somebody comes to me and says, I've, I've got some chickens on my farm and I want to mobile slaughter them, I'm like, I don't know how to do that. And I don't know if the resources exist and those resources ebb and flow over time. But you know what? Let me put you in touch with a bunch of other people in other states who are trying to do the same thing. And I'll help you as best I can. But, you know, honestly, and it, it's, it's, it's just it's a lovely idea that these people who are nominally competitors because they're all in the same marketplace, but they're actually, they're all like super locally sourced. So they're not really competitors because they're, they're, you know, like somebody right. in uh, Western Pennsylvania is not going to compete with somebody in, in New Jersey probably. Right. Uh, maybe even Eastern Pennsylvania is not going to comp- compete with somebody in New Jersey. Um, at least not while they're still small. So, um, so that was the first thing I said. And then I wrote a, you know, a long, a long diatribe. Uh, basically I found a pretty good, uh, website on pretty good uh, document on the USDA website, basically talking about rabbits specifically and, 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 and what goes on there. And so, uh, Congress, I don't know if you know this, Ben, but Congress has not mandated inspection of rabbits. <laughs> Therefore inspection of rabbit, uh, is voluntary. And so if you're raising rabbit for food, um, uh, it, you, you, you don't have to be inspected, but you probably should be right. Um, now, what uh, what New Jersey says is that rabbits um, uh, need to be inspected and certified in accordance with the voluntary inspection of rabbits and edible products part of the CFR, right? So you can go to the New Jersey State Food Code and you can find out that they reference uh, part of the federal regulations, specifically uh, part one, sorry, sorry, part 354 um, uh, of, of uh, 9 CFR uh, chapter 3 um voluntary inspection of rabbits and edible products thereof. So there actually is a part of our federal regulations that talks about how you might um, inspect rabbits if you wanted to be, or inspect uh, rabbit processing if you wanted to do that. So um, so basically the answer, and I, I really, I was kind of amazed at how quickly I could find an answer to this person's question. So it turns out that you, um, again, because it's a government bureaucracy that's relatively well run, um, uh, if you Google the right thing, you can find out that um, you can apply for a voluntary rabbit inspection through your district office, right? And so the the uh, f- uh, food uh, food safety inspection service, um, you know, the, the the regulatory structure for inspecting meat and poultry processors are regulated by districts. Those districts get reorganized on a periodic basis. New Jersey is currently, actually, we're in the same district as you, Ben. And we're, 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 right. New Jersey is administered out of Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, and it includes Delaware, District of Columbia, Maryland, North Carolina, New Jersey, Virginia, and West Virginia. And so uh, you can find um, the appropriate form, uh, which you would send to somebody in the FSIS district office in Raleigh and basically say, hey, look, 
I want to be voluntarily inspected. I want my rabbits to be voluntarily inspected. Now, what we don't know from this person and what I suspect is going to be a key key part. So the person talks about they're raising the rabbits. They're talking about that they're going to contract with a butcher um, for, for some of this work. My key question for them and 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 we don't we don't know the answer is like who's going to actually slaughter the rabbits right because that 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 act of turning a, a live rabbit into a dead rabbit that's kind of a, a demarcation in terms of the food processing and so yeah you can, anybody who wants can raise rabbits and you can raise a lot of rabbits on your farm and there's probably farm regulations about that and how you handle the rabbit poop and all of that but once you take that rabbit and you turn it into a dead rabbit um, now you've got a whole different set of regulations and while the butcher might be able to take rabbit carcasses and and like parse them you know you know separate them and, and turn them in, into something more resembling meat that you could actually sell who's going to actually kill the rabbits and where are they going to kill the rabbits right um, because that's a key question and 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 you're probably not going to be able to do that in a butcher shop because the butcher shop you can't bring live rabbits into the butcher shop and so um, and so and of course how you slaughter them and you have to do it in a sanitary manner etc cetera, etc cetera, you know all of that becomes really important so I mean so th- yeah so it was, it was an interesting way that I started my new year Ben was researching uh, rabbit yeah. processing yeah yeah totally and I so th- this was what what piqued my interest on this is that I didn't I mean, I've never really encountered any rabbit questions, and so yeah, me neither. For for, for thirty years, no no rabbit questions, right? Yeah. This and so, but you know what? Boom! It there it is. I got to deal with it. Yeah, and I hadn't like I I didn't know about the like voluntary inspect like voluntary inspection. I, like that's mm-hmm. where I started. Like whoa, that that kind of um, I guess blows my my mind a little bit that this is um, it, 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 it's. It, it's just it's handled differently than than almost every other um, meat and poultry product, right? Well, like, and and, the, yeah. and the interesting the state nuance is that New Jersey mandates right. that you follow this voluntary program, right? So it's not really voluntary in New Jersey, right? In other states, um, it might truly be voluntary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is this is really that was really really interesting, um, and and it's it's like it's just I mean it just shows how. Um, how kind of weird and patchworks our our laws are, um, and and this isn't. Uh, I I don't think that we're ever going to get to a, a situation where um, we've got one food safety system and all these laws are are all updated and they're all in st- in stat because there's reasons why they were patchworked together. But just going through uh, and we'll we'll link to this in in show notes the nine CFR part three five that you mentioned, voluntary inspection of rabbits and edible products. Um, and, and looking at, at some of this stuff, it's like, wow, I wonder how th- the history of how this came about, right? Like where, uh, where, what, what pushed it, um, to, to be like, no, no, we're, we're going to, we're going to make this not voluntary. Like we have, or uh, so we're going to make this voluntary, not mandatory. Like we have for, for other things. And we're going to build an, an entire, um, you know, entire act around it. It's just really, I don't know, that part really, really interests me. And, and I think when you're outside of our close to this world, that, that story, like there's, there's an entire podcast that someone could do, um, that I listened to on the history of voluntary <laughs> inspection of rabbits, like not just what we did, but right. an entirely, right. like a, a six part series and right. talk Ex- to rabbit people. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's fast. It's fascinating on how 
um, how intricate and how connected these things uh, these things all are. Well, and we and we have this horrible patchwork regulatory system that no one would ever envision. But you know, it kind of works, yeah, right? Yeah. Like it's like like because situations come up, it's like well. Guess what? There is a way that you do this, right? You start by looking at what does the state code say, and the state code references the federal code, and then you read the federal code, and there's a process for how you do it. And my God, it's a bureaucracy, so there's got to be a form somewhere, right? And there's a and there's a form somewhere, and, and you send it to a person, um, and so it kind of it kind of works. So there isn't. I mean, it's it's not it's not a system that anybody would ever design, <laughs> right? 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 Well, it just kind of evolved. But it, for the most part, works. Is, is it the best system? No, it's not the best system. But you know, there is a system. Yeah. Well, and and that you know, that's the thing is, it, it there, there's a reason why we didn't it that it it isn't all real nice and neat from the start. It's because we didn't really think that people would be maybe growing rabbits for um, for sale at a, such a large. Um, a, a large consumption rate that we need to have uh, some sort of regulation. And so all of a sudden, you know, when we build the laws, we, the, you know, the food safety world builds these laws, then someone's like, Hey, but what about, what are we going to do about rabbits? And we shouldn't treat them the same way as we, we treat pigs because we, it's just not the same type of um, livestock raising and it's not the same consumption. Rate. So let's try, let's do something else. And, and to, to your point, um, as I start looking at what I'm going to, what I have on my calendar, what I'm going to do this spring, you and I are both going to the conference for food protection in Denver, uh, later this spring and, uh, starts at the end, end of March and overlaps to the start of, of April. And it's, it's one of these things that as I've sat back and watched that process over the last decade, it's really interesting to see the federal agencies work together to align some of their weird nuanced differences. And, and it, I think about how, how USDA has, has petitioned the conference for food protection or maybe not petition is not the right, right word, but they've used the conference for food protection to put together issues to say they've updated their regulations for certain time temperatures or certain ways that they handle meat in the cooking commercially for, for, um, in, in the FSIS regulated facilities and and they would really like it if the food code reflected the same time temperature combinations and and like you said it's it may not be the most eloquent way to do it but and you can't do it in a in a minute and say well the science is has, has is now um better science is showing that we need to change what we're doing or allow for different time temperature combinations and you can't just like snap your fingers and make it happen fsis can can change it and then needs to go through this process at fda to do it, to change it. And then it, you know, ultimately in the, in the 2017 food code, it worked, right? Like it, it happens, it takes time, but, but it isn't, um, it, it, you know, like, like you said, it's not the way that we would, we would plan it, but, but it does, it does work. And there's some, uh, I don't know, eloquence to it or something like it's, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a game. Well, yeah, it's like laws and sausage, right? You don't want to see them being made, and that's but that's what that's what the fun of of CFP, right? And 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 again, it's not it's not it's it's informed by science, but it's not a scientific process. If you if you get hung up on how you think it should be done, um, you're you're going to be disappointed, right? And so you have to be persistent. You have to have a thick skin. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's 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 food safety politics uh, for nerds. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, and, and I guess this is our annual shout out to folks, and this is a good time to to talk about it for folks who have not participated in this process before. And if you're a nerd in both laws, well, let's say laws, sausages, and sausage laws, um, you you should come to to the conference for food protection and and see it in action um, because it is not like I mean it, it is it is not like anything else I'd ever been to. Uh, it is not a um, a scientific conference where, where information is shared about cutting edge, um, science. I mean, although there's an education portion to it, uh, but the, the council work is, is very much the, the ins and outs of debating what's in the literature or what's not in the literature and, and issues to change, to change the law. And it is, um, it, I've talked to to others, and uh, my my friend and your friend and our colleague Leanne Jacobs is one of the one of the folks. She's like, "You go to CFP. I do not want to go <laughs> at all. I, I'm not interested in this." And I'm like, oh, "I love this." And I, she goes, "I'm glad one of us is." Yeah. Well, and and the <laughs> weird thing is, Ben, and this is it's disappointing to me because there are very few academics who go to CFP. Yes. Uh, I think, and again, nothing against Leanne, um, but the, who have that same attitude that she does, which. I, yeah. And again, it probably takes somebody with an extension perspective who can, who can get why this stuff is important. Um, and she just doesn't, doesn't have that perspective. Um, and it's an, you know, it's, it's a, yeah, you have to pay, you have to pay to send yourself there. It's not an inexpensive meeting. Right. It's not a super expensive meeting. Cause again, it's a lot of government people and they, they're notoriously <laughs> cheap. <laughs> so, you know, um, but it's a, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's not like anything else. And I am so glad that I discovered it and I would, I would miss it if it didn't, if it didn't exist. Well, and, and in turn, you, you're discovering it brought me into it. Um, and it's not something that I had, uh, really known about. And, and my, um, my Dean, uh, Rich Linton, who, uh, is, uh, used to be a real big, uh, food safety guy in the retail. He was really active in it. Yep. And so when he yep. came to NC state, he was like, do you go to CFP? And I had just gone to my first. And, and so we had a connection there. Um, as, as well. And, and he's been, he, he and I are chairing the, uh, education component uh, of the program this year, the, the committee, the program committee for that. Um, and it's been really fun to work with him on that. And I, you know, I'll, I'll not, I, I'm not, not to defend Leanne, but I think, I think that, you know, and the, this is the way I could see someone from the outside, not enjoying it is it takes patience and it may not, <laughs> It, it uh, uh, an issue can get steamrolled by politics and not science really easily, and that could be frustrating for someone who who doesn't um, who who just wants to to change it because the science says it should change, right? And, right. And right. I and and I enjoy the uh, I, the stuff that I've been part of there. Um, I I really like I do feel like that that is a one of the legacies that, that I'll, I'll leave is some of the, the chain, you know, uh, the work that Leanne did and her group through NoraCore, she, she asked me to put together an issue and we took that issue through, um, the, the process in, I don't know, 2014 or 20, whatever it was, uh, 20, uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, and uh, to change the um, what people do in restaurants for vomit cleanup, and and now and and it worked, right? Like like being part of that, I I wasn't really in in depth on the science aspect of it, but I was in the in the CFP process, and and now working with operators here in North Carolina who are 
asking, okay, well, how do I comply with the law of vomit cleanup? And it's like, whoa, we did that, right? Like, right. like, like uh, as a whole, the the science was was done here, um, and, and then we we took it and changed changed the rule, and now so it actually applies in in the field. Someone's actually got to do deal with it based on on science, and that's like that's a legacy thing, right? Like that people are always going to have to deal with it until someone else changes it. Right, right, and and my legacy is that we did some really good research showing that um, water temperature for washing your hands doesn't really matter, um, and um, we did not change the code because right. FDA was uncomfortable with. Um, changing it. So, you know, sometimes, uh, science does not win and, uh, but that's okay. (laughs) I'm not not bitter or angry. (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. But, but the other thing with that to to be encouraging to you is that FDA's thoughts on that didn't change, you know, four years ago or six years ago or last year, but, but they may change in, in 2020 or 2022 or whenever, right? Like it's the, the, how, how we look at things can, can evolve over time and the more comfortable the, the agencies are with some of this. Um, and, and yeah, and the, and the people change, it may happen. Well, you know, you know how they, how science progresses, Ben, you've heard this, right? People retire. One funeral at a time. (laughs) One funeral at a time. See, mine is the nicer way that they they retire. I'm I'm just Uh, quoting a famous person. Excellent, excellent. Um, I don't don't remember who, but I'll look it up. So what? Yeah, yeah. Was did you? Was Merlin Man? Did he say that on a on a website? On a website? No, no. It was. uh, Yeah. Let's see. So uh, I got the quote here. Um, uh, Let's see here. Or I don't. Anyway, it's it's fine. Um, Well, I'll find it. Okay. All right. All right. Um, so there's, oh, here we go. Here uh, we go. Uh, all right. So a, it's right at the top of this article. Um, a new scientific truth does not triumph by convincing its opponents and making them see the light, but rather because its opponents eventually die and a new generation <laughs> grows up that is familiar with it. Uh, that was Ma- Max Planck, the uh, noted uh, German theoretical physicist in 1950. And uh, according, is, according, yeah. according, according to this article, um, uh, it turns out that Max, Max Planck was right, uh, according to a new study. <laughs> <laughs> according to a new study, Max, yeah, excellent. Um, Science really does uh, advance one funeral at a time, study suggests. <laughs> did it, it, <laughs> and once Max Planck died, it advanced again. Uh, but then he advanced, uh, it's, it's cyclical. Yes. Uh, <laughs> time is a flat circle. Time, yes, yes. Um, okay, so uh, we, we've got – there's some feedback, but before we get into that, um, I want to talk a little bit about an outbreak that's happening or an investigation that's that's ongoing, I guess. Um, yes. And uh, it's something that was updated yesterday by FDA, outbreak investigation of Salmonella Javiana. Uh, is, do you say Javiana or Javiana? I say Javiana. Yeah, me too. me too. I think my son, who goes to uh, Spanish immersion school, would call would tell me it's Javiana. 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 Outbreak investigation of Seminole. Javiana. Potentially linked to Taylor Cut produce mix, uh, winter 2019. And so FDA and a couple of things are notable on this for me. So one is the the initial outbreak and investigation was announced uh, back uh, about a, almost a month ago in December. Um, and uh, so I'll go back to previous updates here. Uh, December 11th, according to CDC, there were 11 illnesses confirmed by whole genome sequencing, in Pennsylvania, Minnesota. December 9th, uh, FDA uh, and Pennsylvania Department of Health investigating the outbreak. 
of illnesses uh, caused by Salmonella Haviana in Pennsylvania. Uh, December 6th, uh, FDA in Pennsylvania uh, found, found this outbreak. But here we are, January um, 2nd, and there is there is an update uh, to it. And it's, um, you know, essentially that there are um, more illnesses. As of December 30th, CDC is reporting 96 illnesses uh, confirmed by whole genome sequencing in a bunch of states um, and illnesses reported from states where Taylor Cup Produce distributes. Um, ill people from other states reported traveling to these states in the week before their illnesses. CDC reports only cases confirmed by whole genome sequence, so there may be uh, others out there, um, and there's a bunch of investigation. But what, Don, what I really like about this, um, what, what's bad about this is that we've got 96 illnesses and 27 hospitalizations. What I really like about it is a, you know, a month after the initial announcement, we've had we've had four updates. And this is exactly the type of thing that um, that we talked about in, in our live episode at the um, rapid response team um, conference. Um, we've talked about in when it comes to good risk communication, just having these updates, knowing what FDA is doing is is good. It's good transparency. It's not like, hey, there's there's more. It's a bigger outbreak. It's it's no. This is this is telling part of the story. And and it's not that that agencies hadn't been doing this, but I'm much more attuned to this, and they're doing a much better job of this um, than uh, and, and just saying, look, we are still trying to figure out what what's happening um, here, and 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 don't like I guess not a don't worry, but but just to let you know, we still haven't we haven't solved this. We're we're still conducting our investigation. There are more illnesses that are rolling in. That's helping us. Um, it, with with extra data, figure out what's what's actually happening, um, you know, associated with with this, and it's a fruit mix. So we've got cantaloupe, honeydew, pineapple, and grapes. Those those um, that mix has all been linked epidemiologically and trace back. But but actually going back to was it one of these? Is it a process issue? We don't we don't really know yet. Um, but it is um, it, it's kind of nice uh, to see that there's an update. Yeah, and I, I've got I've got some some thoughts on this. Um, so the first the first thought I had was, wow, that's North Brunswick, New Jersey. Um, that's really near New Brunswick, New Jersey, where my office is located. Oh. Um, so it is. This is definitely local. Now I want you to, in your mind, imagine what you think this place looks like that's processing this fruit. Okay, have you have you got okay. it? Have you yep. got it in your mind? I got it. I got it. Okay. I'm sending you a link. Okay. Oh, oh, it just arrived. Yep. Oh, does that look like a kind of place that you would want to have your food processed? Wow. (laughs) So we'll, we'll link to the Google maps and I don't, I don't, I can't confirm that this is the actual location because Google maps could be wrong. Um, but this is a, well, it's a building. Um, it's there's it's a sign out front that's saying it's available for rent. We don't I don't know how old the uh, the Google uh, Google Maps thing is. Um, there is a uh, a business called uh, Interlock Device of New Jersey, which is probably not a food processor. That looks like it's right next to this. This is a. Uh, yeah, this 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 particular picture does not inspire confidence. And again, I we could be wrong. I mean, it might be look really nice inside, um, but but I, I this is uh, this is not a company I had ever heard of. Um, but it just shows that even small businesses like this one could 
uh, potentially have huge, uh, huge impact. So, and the other thing that was really interesting. So, I've been watching this since before the break, right? Yes. And when the first uh, notice came out, because it's you know it's right in my backyard, literally. Um, and the the so it's it's interesting. So the the there's a couple there's the December sixth update, December 9th update, and December eleventh update, and. The December 11th update says, according to CDC, there are 11 illnesses confirmed by whole genome sequencing in Pennsylvania and Minnesota, okay? And the Minnesota person was in New York at the time of the infection. Um, So we went from 11 cases on December 11th to uh, 96 cases. Uh, on yep. January 2nd. So that's a yep. huge jump. Now, it's not quite, if you read the December 9th update, um, the December 9th update says that there were 33 lab-confirmed salmonella cases at four healthcare facilities in southeastern Pennsylvania. And salmonella, uh, salmonella Javiana has been identified among cases at three of four facilities. And so it's not really 11 cases. It's maybe 33. It's 11 that they've confirmed by whole genome, but 33 um, uh, Salmonella Javiana uh, uh, cases at the, the healthcare facilities. And it's it's very interesting the way this this outbreak, our knowledge of this outbreak has developed. Um, and I think that it probably helped. That helped. That's not the right word. But but th- these the, this was fruit that was served to people that were perhaps already vulnerable, right? Yes. Because these are people at healthcare facilities. Um, uh, so, and we know, let's see, uh, uh, it's uh, the Taylor Cut Produce reports that their products may be found at restaurants, banquet facilities, hotels, schools, long-term care facilities, and institutional food service establishments in Delaware, New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania. So this is an outbreak that probably started by impacting uh, folks that were already vulnerable, and they obviously got a pretty significant dose and, and you know, relatively high uh, case rate, people that were already vulnerable. Um, but it's just been really interesting. This is, this is just kind of weird the way this one happened. It started off small, and then it, it grew uh, quite, uh, quite big. Um, it looks like the outbreak is over. Um, the last illness onset was December 10th. Um, uh, but now we have cases. Most of the cases are in Delaware, New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania, but we also have cases in other States, but only because those people happen to be in, um, the Delaware, New New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania at the time that they consume the food. So yeah, this is just, this is an really interesting one for a variety of reasons for me. Yeah, so I I agree. Um, I, I guess a couple other things on on this. I often go to um, the the packer as a place that gets uh, I, I think really good reporting on foodborne illness outbreaks and investigations. So um, probably the uh, the the guy who writes the most about this is a guy named Tom Karst. Um, at the Packer, and so the, that's the first place that I that I looked at for more information. And and usually, what what um, what what the Packer does really well is that they've got interviews. They've they they'll have a quote from someone at FDA, or they'll have a quote from um, a you know the State Department of Health person, or you know Department of Agriculture doing an investigation, or the company themselves. And there's nothing from huh. Taylor Cut. Um, it, in any of their articles, there's no like um, information. And when I go to the to the Taylor Cut Produce um, website, uh, there's not really a whole bunch of information about 
um, food safety or other thing that says anything that only that says Taylor Cup Produce currently operates out of central New Jersey and provides daily deliveries throughout New Jersey, New York, and eastern Pennsylvania. The facility is HACCP certified and maintains ingredient tracking records for safety and quality assurance. Uh, Taylor Cut Produce has been certified as a WBE owned and controlled company, which I don't really know what that is. Um, I have a sense of what HACCP certified means, but there's just nothing about like what's happening in our in this outbreak. There's no no one's talking. It, it's a really I don't know. It's a it, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a quiet one. Um, and, and again, the, like I said, the Packer usually does a really good job at getting these, these interviews because I mean, the Packer is the, the, the fresh produce industries, um, uh, trade, trade magazine or trade, you know, trade website. And, and so it's kind of like a friend, uh, I guess a, a friendly place to get your message out and there's just nothing, um, out there. So yeah, it's, uh, a, I, 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 I want what I want to see is um, here are the things that we're investigating and and really like you 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 picked up on something that that I hadn't um, I, I know we talked about I think a couple episodes ago with, with regards to this outbreak but I hadn't thought about it again um, in this long term care situation if I'm running a long a, a facility that has vulnerable populations and to think back to Bluebell ice cream and and dirty milkshake um, uh, blenders. I, I'm doing things for food safety in a in a different way, and and maybe in certain situations, I need to have I, I need to have assurances from a supplier that's more than it's a HACCP certified um, facility. I, I really want to know. Like, I'm gonna I'm gonna feed this stuff to people that are already immunocompromised. Who 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 for lots of reasons we want to ensure that they have food that's nutritious that you know if someone's in a long-term care facility we we want to make it as comfortable as possible so so saying like well you can't eat fresh produce is is uh for someone who wants to eat fresh produce and be be comfortable is really difficult but i got to do something more uh for it and so this fruit salad there's certain things like cantaloupe and and uh, honeydew that just have been historically linked to foodborne illness that maybe I don't want to serve, serve there. You know, if I if I was gonna give if I if I had to run this facility and people wanted fruit salad, I'd give them uh, grapes and pineapple. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, right. yes. And, and so a, a, a couple of important pieces of information from the About Us page on Taylor Cut. Um, why is HACCP certification so important? It means confident buying as a HACCP certified company. We know where our products originated and can provide tracking and a trace on all produce supplied. Okay. That's not okay. HACCP, Ben. No. Nope. That's, that's, that's traceability. It's not, it's not HACCP. And then the other point that you said, uh, WBE, um, uh, WBE is a woman business enterprise. Oh, cool. All so, right. So that's, that's what that means. But it has nothing to do with food safety. So, but I, again, I'm, I really think this was a small operation um, and they just, didn't and you know they didn't know what they were doing. They they say that their fresh cut produce contains no additives or preservatives. Um, it's delivered daily to your kitchen. I mean, you know, this is not a company. I mean, again, I don't want to I don't want to say bad stuff about them, but th- looking at their website, it doesn't inspire confidence about food safety. And the other question that I, which goes to the traceability point is, they probably did not cause this produce to become contaminated, right? 
they probably were a vehicle for it spreading. They maybe had some cross-contamination issues, but I've got to think that there's a, they must have purchased something that was contaminated, but yep. but that came from a lot that had other contaminated products. And so where are the other cases, right? Where where Where's the rest of this outbreak? Um, and, and again, it kind of makes me think, well, okay, so this company had a problem. Where are the other companies that had a problem? Or maybe they had better sanitation programs. They had something else in place that make the outbreak link back to this. But but I, I'd, I would venture to say it wasn't Taylor that caused the initial contamination, but in their handling of it, they may have spread the contamination. And again, it, we, FDA has visited them and they've done an inspection. Um, no evidence of any 483s coming from that, but I would sure, sure like to see the 483s from the inspection. Now, they're not shut down apparently because FDA would have told us that if FDA right. shut them down. So they weren't egregiously bad, right? Um, but I, I just have some real, I have some real, I really want to see the 483s. Yeah, you know? yeah, and, yeah, and I guess yeah. Marler will probably get a hold of them eventually. Yeah, and we'll and we'll get to see them. There'll be an outbreak like uh, report. I mean, this is so, it's such a sizable outbreak that yeah. um, it, you know I think there's enough there, there'll be enough attention um, on it. Um, and you know, okay, so here's so for for the people that um, that listen to us but but aren't you know almost similar to your to your rabbit. Um, uh, describing how you, you went through your process, I, you know, I mentioned, I go to the packer. The other thing that I, that I do is I look for, okay, do we have any Taylor farms? Like, are they, are there any warning letters? Is there anything that we can find like historical warning letters, anything that happened before December, um, 2019 that we can find about their inspection? Um, and I, you know, as, as I Googled while, while we were chatting about it, I haven't been able to find anything. And, and really it's not a, um, is on magic. My my guess is the folks at um, Food Safety News. Uh, we're also looking at, at at the same you know same thing, trying to see if there's any historical indication um, that that we could find of um, what you know um, uh, misgivings in their in their food safety uh, program. But but you know here here's the, the you know an, another another piece of this. Um, if this is your first time listening to the podcast or you're new to, to food safety talk, HACCP certification doesn't guarantee you're not going to have an outbreak, right? Like it's it, uh, uh, doing audits and meeting standards are good things, but but it's not a situation where it's a it's a fail safe. And I and I think and and again I don't know anything about Taylor Cut, um, but I think that. In other situations where I've talked to people that are in buying, uh, have buying responsibilities that may not be doing food safety all the time, I think that there's a, a sense of assurance that if someone has some sort of an audit, some sort of a uh, a standard, that that that's a um, that, that you don't have to worry as much about them. And I don't I don't necessarily think that's that's the case because as, as you said, this is about how they maybe how they manage their their suppliers. And I've told the story without um, without outing the individual a few times on the, on the podcast. But but uh, after IAFP a couple of years ago, um, I went with a, a produce uh, a food safety guy, well, a retail food safety guy who's interested in, in produce on a couple of visits to their suppliers. And, and all of the suppliers had, um, 
were like Global Gap certified and um, GFSI compliant and HACCP certified, all, all the certif- all the best certifications, all the certifications all the way down. And, and going to four or five of these suppliers, they all had the same certifications and they were drastically different in how well in, in just a short amount of time that we were there and the questions that we were asking and things that we were seeing, how well they were managing food safety in, in my eyes and in, and in his eyes. And, and so the, it doesn't, and it's, I mean, it's like restaurant inspection in the same way, having, having this infrastructure, having it is good, but it doesn't mean that everyone's doing everything right and, or and right, maybe even not the right word that they're doing things as safe as possible. And, and there's lots of variability on how people can, can attain these certifications and it's not a fail safe. Yeah. And I, yeah, and I'd like to see their HACCP plan. I'd like to see, you know, I'd like to see the past inspections by FDA. I really wonder how often FDA has inspected these folks because they're obviously they're small and FDA has limited resources. So it could, it could have been, uh, you know, could have been years since they've been inspected. I mean, unfortunately. Right. Um, yeah. So Do you I think, yeah. Is, so I have a question on, on that. So sure. are these FDA. So in North Carolina, then mm. we wouldn't usually have a place like this would be inspected by an FDA commission state department of agriculture inspector. Would that be the same thing in New Jersey or would it be FDA, FDA? Uh, it, w- it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be, uh, it wouldn't be department of ag. It might be department of health, right? So okay. this might be subcontracted to department of health. Interesting. So, but, yeah. but, but, but not, but it would not be department of ag. I, I, yeah, because they, they don't have, they have on farm food safety responsibility, but not, um, processing, not processing. So, yeah, yeah, our, this, yeah. you know, here's the sausage laws, right? So yeah. in our, in our state, um, if it, a place like this would, would absolutely fall under department of agriculture, FDA, um, commission folks. Uh, and, and so we, we go from farm, uh, any of the, any of the F, the FISMA rules are all in our Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services, not just Department of Agriculture. And then the local and uh, the state health department does retail and um, and it, but really the inspections are done by local health departments. So so a place like this for us would would absolutely be Department you know, North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Consumer Services. Which not, I mean, not that, that that matters, but but for us, this is where I think state funding does come into play, where FDA may not go like FDA in our state, I think goes to like the big like Dole or right, right. really large <laughs> places. But a small place like this would would be inspected, um, I think like annually. Um, and but that's based on how our state budget works, right? Like in states that that don't have that same kind of investment, um, it might be two or three years between um, uh, b- between inspections. Yep. Huh. Well, yeah. and yeah, and and I mean, what, what? No, like not to get too esoteric about it, but what would the inspection show? We don't know. Um, and especially if this is a supplier issue, it's it's really comes you know comes down to um, where how it was sourced and contamination maybe in, um, in the, uh, field or, um, the washing or, or whatever, um, before it even got there. So the inspection may not show anything. 
Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of the Packer, um, <clears throat> I did, I did find some things on their website about this outbreak, but it's all like yes. boilerplate stuff from FDA exactly. press releases, right? There's nothing, yep. there's no unique, uh, link, not, nothing special about it. There's no insider scoop from talking to the president or, or whatever. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. That's which is, and if that's the place I'm going to go to find the insider stuff if it's there. So, yeah. All right. Well, there's uh, we we pe- people do give us feedback and they say they like to hear about uh, outbreaks that are happening. And there's an outbreak that's happening or, yeah. or recent recently, maybe hopefully over since illnesses of uh, we haven't had a reported illness for three weeks. Yeah, I'd say the outbreak is over. The story is uh, uh, still developing. Right. Uh, really interesting to see what uh, what more will come from this. There's just there's so many questions I have and, and maybe we'll get some answers. Yep. Yep. Hopefully. Uh, should we do some feedback? Let's do it. So um, the first one, we'll go. Uh, we'll we'll pop the stack here. We'll go from. Uh, <laughs> we'll use that wrong every time. Uh, we'll go from uh, a friend friend of the uh, the podcast uh, who I don't think uh, would would uh, care if we mentioned his name, uh, Brian Souders. Uh, and so he sent us a link to something on uh, CNN. Back right before the holidays, uh, with a message said, "Curious if anyone is thinking about a practical comparison of old soak versus new spray, maybe talking point for next episode." And the link that he sends us to is um, a uh, a CNN story uh, on uh, uh, that's reporting uh, some Dawn messaging. So Dawn, not Dawn. I, you know, I, I can't say this correctly, but Dawn the dish soap people. <laughs> yes, that's Dawn. the best. That's the best way to say it. Yeah, Don, not Don the Schaffner, um, <laughs> says, Don says you're washing your dishes wrong. Uh, according to CNN Business, Americans have changed the way they wash messy dishes. Procter & Gamble says its old-fashioned liquid detergent, which debuted in 1972, just isn't cut out for the job anymore. So invented a new Dawn dish spray designed for how people are washing their dishes today. More consumers are washing one or two dishes during cooking downtime instead of letting them pile up and doing one big wash once they're all done, according to Procter & Gamble. All, all, I, all I have to say is that P&G did not visit my kitchen. <laughs> ah, ah. So I will say that I do do exactly this. Uh, so well, I didn't say that I didn't do it. I just said in my kitchen. <laughs> in your kitchen. Got it. Got it. The company says the old Dawn uh, wasn't intended to be used that way. Traditional dish soap is designed to be combined with water and create suds to help get dishes clean, not directly apply to dirty dishes or sponges. Uh, people are much more time starved today, and they can see they see the clean as you go method as life hack. It's a life. It's a life hack, Don. Life hacker. You know what else is a hack? Using soap to clean <laughs> your dishes. <laughs> <laughs> yep, there it is. See, this is where all the life hacks come together. So after five years of research and development, P&G is introducing the Dawn Power Wash Dish Spray. It's new, uh, a form of dish detergent since Dawn Soap and a bottle was released nearly 50 years ago. The new formula comes in a spray bottle, doesn't require water to activate the cleaning suds, so the traditional dish, as the traditional dish soap does. Um, and so, um, you know, basically, uh, it goes into business stuff. Um, cooking at home has become more of a pastime to those who are dedicated enough, says Khalid Samara, research analysis at Euromonitor International. Uh, this trend can be attributed to many consumers not having enough time to cook at home. So this is the life hack. So, so I mean, Brian asked uh, really asked the question about does it does it matter a practical comparison of an old soak versus a new spray from a from a I, and I think what he's getting at is from a food safety. Um, 
a, a food safety standpoint. So what, I mean, what do you, what do you think? <sighs> Without doing with, with no data, right? Like this is, you, and, and, uh, we'll say, we'll say you can waffle all you want. You know, we, <laughs> <laughs> this is the show where we can waffle. We can waffle. We can, we can use the, it depends. Um, um what do you I, think? I, I, I don't think I'm washing my dishes wrong. Um, I, uh, so what we do, what I do is I try to stay out of my wife's way while she's cooking. Um, uh, if I see dirty dishes in the sink, um, I will squirt some soap into the bottom of the dish. I will turn the water on until it gets hot. And then I will pour the hot water onto the dishes and let them soak. And then eventually, probably later that evening or maybe the next morning, if I'm feeling lazy, uh, they will get rinsed out and they will get um, either put in the dishwasher or they will get um, uh, washed by hand and put in the dish rack. Um, so I don't know. You know, I'd like to see some data um, from Procter & Gamble showing the effectiveness Um as you may know, Ben, um, washing things is not a, a very effective way of <laughs> getting rid of bacteria. Um, but there's probably not that much, much bacteria on these dishes. I, 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 I would question my gut feeling is that if you were to compare different ways of washing your dishes and you would have to, you would bring them into a laboratory or kitchens like you have, and you were to compare, you would see more person to person variability than you would see method to method variability. Yes. Um, and the yes. other thing I want to say is, um, if you search for life hacker, uh, dish soap, um, there's a lot of links, but I, to know how to find the right one, you have to add the magic words, uh, Merlin man. And if you do that, um, you find a post from, uh, 43 folders from, uh, September, uh, from October, uh, 2009 entitled make believe help old butchers and figuring out who you are for now, which is a, a great, uh, a, a great, uh, post, which everybody should read. Um, and the first line is, here's a video I made about a video I made. Um, <laughs> it's also about writing a book or maybe not writing a book, fake self-help in the long road to developing expertise, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then if you, if you link to the, if you look at that post, you can find the, uh, the link to the life hacker post, which is entitled dishwasher detergent, soak cleans dishes overnight. So, um, anyway, um, it's, it's good stuff. It takes me back to, gosh, it's been, oh, well, it's been a, uh, 10 years ago, a decade. Wow. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so I, you know, it, it, it's, it's all tied together, Ben. <laughs> it's all, it, yeah, it's all, it's all, it's all happening, Don. It's all happening. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think you, you nailed it. I don't, I don't think that we have good, I don't think there's good data in the literature that shows one of these methods is better than the other. Um, I, I, I really think that the, 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 I think you nailed it. Just, we, we've not done the analysis on this from watching our kitchen, um, participants who do wash dishes manually. A lot of, a lot of times what we do in our studies is we say, um, okay, we cl clean up like you would at home. Uh, and we have a dishwasher available. And so a lot of people open the dishwasher and put their stuff in there and close it up. And, and we assume that they, that's how they would do it at home when they do do some manual dish washing. We've not really looked at this idea of, are they just adding soap without uh, letting it soak without any water? I, I can talk from, from my experience. I do, I do a combination of this. I don't fill up an entire basin of water. Um, but I will, um, maybe if I have a large pot, I'll fill that up with, with some water and soap and then wash, uh, a few other items in there as I go along. Um, but, 
but I, you know, and this is, this is maybe a call out to, to P and G. Um, we've got, but Don and I have the ability and facilities, uh, available to, uh, answer the question on whether it's, uh, whether one's better than the other. Um, and so if, if, if Procter and Gamble is interested in that, that work, uh, I, I, we, we could probably do look at that. Well, and I do want to give a shout out to Procter and, G- and Gamble in general. Uh, I still remember, uh, that they, I think, I don't know if they still make it or not, but they had a product that was a produce wash product, uh, called fit F I T. Um, and they actually did, uh, do some research, uh, uh, Linda Harris and Larry Bouchard and others, uh, did t- publish some work. Uh, on evaluating the, their fit produce wash product. And so certainly as a company, um, at least uh, uh, 20 years ago, back in uh, October 20, 2001, when this article was published, they were committed to science-based um, uh, food safety for their products. And so, you know, if anybody either has done the research or has is capable of doing the research, it would be Procter and Gamble. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're not a, a fly by night country, a company. So I would, uh, you know, yeah, they should, uh, they should reach out. Um, if yep. they, if they want, uh, if they want us to study this and we'd be happy to, we'd be happy to, if yeah, they, if so, they pay for it. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we could do it. We, we have the place to, to do all this. Um, so fit just a real time follow up. fit does still exist. Mm-hmm. Um, but I believe, and I, I followed this quite a bit, um, back 20 years ago. Um, it was, it came out right around the time that I got into, into food safety. Um, and I believe that they stopped marketing it to consumers and they did get into some like interesting areas about like is fit a produce wash for bacterial um, decontamination or antibacterial or does what it does for, to pesticides. And so, so anyway, it is still available, but for commercial use. Um, and, and so they have a, um, uh, we'll link to this in show notes, uh, fit antibacterial produce wash concentrate. Um, and it'll remove, uh, it kills 99% of harmful bacteria like E. coli, salmonella and staph aureus and listeria. 99.9%. And you left off a lo- one log. <laughs> Didn't I say 99.9? Oh, I, I said 99. Oh no! You're yeah. You 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 got me. It's a, I I missed the log if I said that wrong. Um, it, all natural ingredients: citric acid, no chlorine, paracetic acid, or other harsh chemicals. So, it's kosher, uh, certified kosher. <laughs> don't don't drink it. Um, and yeah. So anyway, uh, uh, PNG, uh, we're here. We're here for you because <laughs> <laughs> of course they need us. Um, so so we got that. I the um. I wanted to give a, uh, I'm going to skip around a little bit on, um, on feedback. I uh, w- want to give a uh, shout out to uh, deep Scarlet, um, who is a, a long, you know, long time listener to the shows, uh, um, sent us a couple of messages over the, um, uh, over the holidays, but also sent us a link to, um, this, uh, kind of wonderful videos that I watched, uh, over the last couple of days, uh, on, uh, grandpa kitchen. Are you, were you familiar with these? Uh, I was Don? not. So, so the, the, there was an article in the New York times, um, and the, the guy grandpa from grandpa kitchen, uh, passed away, but he had these, um, has these uh, videos um, that has like six and a half million subscribers, and it's it's really this this guy who's cooking food for his his kids and and grandkids outside, and um, like on these traditional um, in these traditional pots and with big fire, and kids are all sitting around, and it's really it's just really interesting um, uh, just to watch this like making 
all of this uh, all this food in really big pots in uh, outside. There is a little bit of hand washing that I think uh, could be could be added to this, um, but uh, I, I really thought they were qu- quite interesting videos to watch. Yeah, and it's just I mean it not only came in because there's a food safety component. Uh, I'm not I'm not sure there's a lot of hand washing going on, but as I noted to, in response to Deep Scarlet, um, it looks like most of the dishes are fully cooked. Right. And, and it, it is in India and there's a tradition of eating with your hands. And so the videos show a lot of kids um, eating the eating the foods uh, at the end with their hands without utensils because that's how they eat. Um, and hopefully the kids wash their hands uh, before they sat down to eat. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, but the videos are just they're mesmerizing there. It's really cool. Yeah, and and so one that that I looked at was from uh, April of last year. It's got almost three million views, and it's a whole KFC chicken. Hmm. Um, and it's, I mean, we're talking; these are fried, like fried whole chickens uh, in these big in these big pots, and it's just, I mean, they're 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 very interesting videos. I liked them. Yep. So thanks to thanks to Deep Scarlet, Scarlet as always for um, for the feedback and, and sharing uh, some cool some cool links. Um, do you want to talk about sous vide a little bit? Yes, let's do it. So okay. I got, I, so as you, as you know, Ben, we talk about, uh, sous vide a lot, um, uh, on this, on this uh, podcast. And actually I, I recently came across, there's a wonderful episode of Alton Brown, um, that we, the, the rebooted show where he talks about, uh, sous vide, but this, but this is a, this is something different. So this, this comes from, um, Let's see. Please share all details freely, Stephen, uh, who will will call him uh, Deep Veed. Deep Veed. <laughs> um, you know he what? says that's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> Love the podcast. Shame about the audio in the previous show. Uh, I'm writing to ask you for your take on the sous vide cooking times from this page. And he links to uh, a page uh, from a guy named Douglas Baldwin. Um, and he says, most of my, this is still Stephen writing, most of my sous vide cooking has followed the time and temperature guides from Anova's site. For example, this one says you can safely cook one inch steak, thick steaks in less than an hour. And so we'll link to both of Doug, the Doug Baldwin page as well as the Anova culinary page. And the, it's interesting, right? Like I, I was not familiar with, uh, this Douglas Baldwin guy, but he, boy, he really seems to know his stuff. Um, he actually, um, uh, looks at D values and Z values and times and temperatures, but then he, he basically takes an approach that a food engineer would. And he talks about thermal diffusivity and heat transfer coefficients. And he uses that to predict the temperature inside different cuts of meat. Um, and it looks like he's, pretty close to about a 6.5 log reduction for salmonella, which is consistent with uh, FDA or with uh, USDA FSIS. Um, uh, and then the ANOVA page links to a recipe that seems to come from Chef uh, Kenji Lopez-Alt, who we've talked about before on the on the show. And, and Chef Kenji does seem to know his stuff when it comes to science, although we did get into a little bit of an argument. Um, and I still think he's wrong about grinding your own beef, but th- yep, that, yep. that's a discussion for another day. Um, the, the ANOVA page doesn't talk about thermal diffusivity or heat transfer coefficients. Um, so I think the numbers are going to be different. It looks to me like the ANOVA recipes are giving a much lower log reduction. But again, as long as the meat is um, not blade or needle tenderized, the internal meat should be free of pathogens. And so you're really only worried about killing organisms on the surface. Um, so 
And then the other question, uh, the other comment is uh, from from uh, Stephen Deep Deep Veed, uh, that uh, he has a rule of thumb about doubling cooking times when starting from frozen cuts. And I'm I'm I don't, I'm not, I don't know enough about sous vide and don't have enough experience to know whether that's a valid rule of thumb. I suspect that it probably will work okay, but there is but there are things that scale non-linearly. And so if you make the cut big enough, um, uh, if you start with a frozen cut in the middle, it's still going to be frozen solid. And so that's not always going to work. It works better. I think it probably will work in, in a certain range for for smaller cuts of meat. So. Um, of course, you can also do, um, you know, uh, your own scientific study where you have a regular piece or a thawed piece and a frozen piece and then, and then you know, uh, check internal temperature at the end. Again, the bottom line is with sous vide, you set the temperature and if you leave it for long enough, it'll never go over that temperature. And so if you leave it for long enough, as long as it's not below 130, which would be, you know, incubation temperature, as long as it's above 130, eventually you'll get an appropriate log reduction. So that's, that's kind of, you know, uh, I always take a look. As sort of benchmarking, anytime I'm looking at this, I always go back and look at USDA FSIS Appendix A, uh, which is the new, the new improved Appendix A, which is a lot more complicated, but uh, it has multiple tables. But you can take a look at uh, the table on page 33, and, and and that'll give you times and temperatures for 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 beef, which is kind of the the old uh, old Appendix A number. So that's my that's my thoughts on uh, Stephen's message. Awesome. So um, I was familiar with with Douglas Baldwin. Um, he uh, will link to a paper in show notes. He wrote probably what I what I think is the best paper in the scientific literature on sous vide cooking. And so it's entitled sous vide cooking, a review, uh, Douglas E. Baldwin. Um, it was in the international journal of gastronomy and food science. This is uh, in 2012. Uh, we use this, um, almost daily uh, to help um, restaurant operators with variances around sous vide cooking. Um, and as, as you mentioned, so a, a little bit of background on, on Douglas, um, he was a mathematician um, and was a, uh, did his, uh, he was a research assistant at uh, uh, University of Colorado and then was a postdoc there um, as well. And uh, in he, he really looking at, um, the, the math of cooking. Um, and so he wrote a book, uh, he ran a, his own business called the mathematical chef, but most interestingly to me. Um, and so last time I looked at his LinkedIn page, I didn't realize this, but he now works for Breville USA who makes a lot of, um, like cooking appliances. And so, uh, his, his LinkedIn uh, profile says led a team of PhD applied scientists to develop patented predictive algorithms for smart IoT kitchen appliances. This is exactly the type of person that should that should work for Breville. Exactly. Um, yep. Right. Like this is this is uh, you know, one of the things that we've talked about in um, when it, when it comes to home food preservation um, and and our friend uh, Elizabeth Andrus at the University of Georgia looking at different uh, appliances that people are using to, to steam can or canned foods is that they often don't have a food science uh, person who is evaluating for safety some of these um, some of these issues and and here you go uh, I can add Breville to the list of a place that I would uh, you know feel confident in in their uh, validation of their uh, of their equipment based on uh, Douglas being there since uh, July 2019. Um, but but he yeah so so I was like I said I was familiar with this with his stuff I think the sous vide cooking a review is actually an open access paper um, if you are in a local health department or state health department you have questions about sous vide use this paper it's 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 uh, I think the 
it's it's got the best um the most referenced best science out there and and a lot of the time temperatures that are on his website are replicated here with references um and and so uh in you know to to your you know the, the only thing I'll I'll mention um here is that just supporting what what you'd said there there are risks in eating raw or undercooked meats cooking it somewhat is going to reduce that risk using the tables that the uh Douglas has in his in his paper or on his website um are at least going to validate or they're validated um for um you know specific pathogens uh, that he that he notes uh, at certain thicknesses, and it gives you more assurance. Um, but you know the 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 risk on uh, you know uh, the the risk of the the pathogens uh, is relatively low in in these foods um, unless it's bladed or mechanically tenderized. Um, and so, especially if it's going to be seared uh, afterwards, um, the 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 cooking process here is going to give you. Um, you know, depending on what what it is, a five log reduction or a seven log reduction, um, but but it's uh, you know where things get really dicey, and and Douglas doesn't really have anything in his in his work um, about this, but is when you get into that like twenty four hour, forty eight hour short rib type recipes, and you want to push it below one hundred and twenty degrees or one hundred and thirty degrees Fahrenheit, um, that's where where you can get into some some real um, potential risk, but. Uh, but yeah, he's, I, I think he's, he's provided some of the best science out there on this. Yeah. And I think on his website, he talks about that. You don't, why you don't want to go below that temperature. I think that was yep. his website that talks yep. about that. So, uh, yeah, good stuff. I just, I, we're not uh, linked up on LinkedIn, but I just sent him a link uh, request and mentioned that we talked about him on the show today. So uh, oh, yeah, awesome. good, good stuff. Good stuff. He's, he is linked up with Carl Custer. No surprise. Oh, of course. Of course. Of course. Um, all right. So, uh, here we go. The, the, uh, um, we got, we got one more, uh, one here on, uh, share all details. We'll, we'll say this is uh, deep, deep ice cream. Um, and so, uh, friend, friend of the podcast, John sends us a, a message says, I'm sure you guys have already seen this one, but just in case you haven't, I'm passing along. It's a little reminiscent of the lizard guy. I think the bearded <laughs> dragon is the, who I believe, uh, he's, uh, he's talking about not, mm -hmm. we have, we, I guess we, there, we now have two bearded dragon, uh, people in our lives, <laughs> uh, but the one that had a food uh, processing plant or an almond huller or something was like a that. support dragon. <laughs> Support, support dragon. Uh, FDA's actions here are troubling to me. Two years of consistently running an ice cream packing facility with resident listeria, facility design deficiencies, lots of dripping, et cetera, and a clear lack of food safety culture. People are clearly being put at risk here, and it seems as, as if FDA should have done more and more quickly. Thoughts? And so, again, that, that comes from uh, our message uh, from from uh, front of the show, John. So, um so this is uh, in, in uh, relation or in relation in regards to a uh, letter that was written to Friendly's Manufacturing and Retail LLC, um, and it was addressed to Eric uh, Berengaus, President and Chief Executive Officer of Friendly's Manufacturing in Dallas, Texas, um, and it's a it's a warning letter uh, that really goes through a whole bunch of good manufacturing practice. Um, uh, issues. And so, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll read a few highlights here. You didn't take reasonable measures and precautions to ensure all persons working in direct contact with food, food contact services, and food packaging materials conform to hygienic practices while on duty. 
An employee charged uh, in mixing a certain product did not wash and sanitize hands and did wa not wash, sanitize, or change gloves after touching scoop handles that contained uh, specific products, opening boxes, and transferring uh, to the decorating lines. Your corporate quality assurance director was observed using his bare hands to push partially overturned RTA or RTE ready-to-eat Sunday cups through the machine. After uh, word, your corporate quality assurance director was observed licking ice cream off his bare hands. That's a pretty fun one. Yeah. Um, uh, your plant was not constructed in a manner to uh, contain drips. Uh, you did not clean your, your utensils or food contact surfaces. Equipment as frequently as necessary to protect against contaminated food as required by the CFR. Sanitation control procedure states that all food contact surfaces shall be cleaned and sanitized daily or as used. However, the following practices were observed. Cake molds had food debris from previous use when exiting the dishwasher. An employee uh, used a metal ruler to push RTE products into a topping hopper and then place the ruler on an unclean work cart. Ruler was used throughout production. Um, and then I believe in here, um, oh yeah, here we go. Uh, and I'll, I'll go back up on this. Uh, during FDA's 2019 inspection, two environmental swabs were positive for Listeria inocua. One of the Listeria inocua swabs was collected from ice cream dripping from a valve on a freezer cycle where Friendly's brand strawberry shortcake sundaes were being manufactured. This location is adjacent to a drain where in 2017, I, um, FDA isolated Listeria monocytogenes and Listeria inocua. The second inocua swab was collected from a floor drain. This swab site was the same location as previous mo monocytogenes positive samples uh, collected by FDA during the 2017 inspection. Um, in reviewing, and this, this, I, I think this one's really, really interesting. I want to get your take on it. In reviewing your firm's environmental monitoring program, we note that you have repeatedly found listeria species throughout your processing facility. Specifically, from January 2019 through July 2019, 13.4% of all swabs taken were positive for listeria. From January 2018 through December 2018, 20.9% of all swabs were positive for listeria. And January 2017 through July 2017, 16.4% of all swabs were positive for listeria. Your 2017 environmental monitoring findings were discussed with your firm during our 2018 regulatory meeting. So what do you think? Well, there's a lot of not good stuff here. Um Right. So uh, the licking ice cream off your fingers, using bare hand to touch product. I mean, that's just gross. And that just shows that that person who is their quality manager doesn't know what they're doing. Right. Like that's just. Yeah. Is that risky? Meh, not really. But is it does it show that this person does not understand um, that they are supposed to be exemplifying good food safety practices um, and that they would do this during an FDA inspection? Fascinating. It's, it's just fascinating. It's, yeah, it's just it's just just poor form. Right. You just don't do that. Right. I mean, it's again, not not particularly problematic, but from a food safe, it's just gross um, and you shouldn't do it. And, and it just makes me wonder what's going on when FDA is not there. Right. It's gotta be worse. Right. Um, that's a lot of listeria, obviously God. whatever they're doing to control listeria, it's not working and they need to change it up. And so to me, all of this just smacks of poor management, like from the top down. Right. And it just needs, like some people need to be fired and um, they need to start over. 
Um, yeah, it's, it's, and it's kind of sad, right? Like I, part of the reason why this was intriguing to me is that we, I guess a kid, we grew up eating at friendlies, right? It was just a place we would go to eat and we would get there Sundays. And I haven't been back in many, many years. Cause I think the, the quality just went down. There used to be one at the local mall, um, which closed. There used to be one close to the house where I grew up. Um, you know, there used to be, we used to go when we visited my grandparents in in Connecticut, we used to go. Um, and it's just, it's just kind of sad that they've really fallen so far. They used to be a really good, good chain that produced good quality food and good ice cream. And, and, uh, and that's just not the case anymore. This is, it's really, so, okay. So this is, I, I did a little bit of digging afterwards, mm-hmm. um, on this. And I was like, because when, like, I wasn't sure if this was the friendlies, right? Like, oh, yeah. like and, and it is, it's it the, is. Yeah. And, and so Here's here's like a little interesting tidbit that um, no no spoilers that I'm gonna send you that's in your text and the link is arriving right now. This I think this business Friendly's mm. Ice Cream LLC they they used to have a retail ice cream and manufacturing business where you could buy that retail stuff. Yep. yep. They sold it to Dean Foods. Okay. Who was like who is i guess they i guess just recently announced that they're in bankruptcy protection i think but i think it's like a really really large d um uh uh dairy processor oh okay like so um but but so this this sale happened in 2016 and and i don't know and th- this is the part that i think we we could ha- uh, we could afford some insights uh, from uh, from folks, and so this press release from 2016 says Dean's Foods Company will continue to produce Friendly's ice cream out of the facility in Wilbraham, 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 Massachusetts, that for over 45 years has produced Friendly's popular packaged ice cream, frozen dessert products, including single serve Sunday cups, cakes, and rolls, along with ice cream for Friendly's restaurants. Friendly's ice cream, one of the best loved ice cream brands in the Northeast, distributes products in over 8,000 retail locations across the U.S. So. I, I wonder if what we're seeing here, I, I don't know. I guess I don't know what, I don't know who, who owns or runs the specific facility that has this warning letter. If this is a like Friendly's ice cream LLC, this is one manufacturer and they're only selling it at Friendly's restaurants. Or if this is really part of the Dean's Dean foods um, empire. And, and I, and again, I don't want to, um, I don't want to speculate either one, but I wonder if that has something to do with this, right? Like if you, I, I recently talked to someone, can't remember what industry this was, but someone who said they, they were, you know, one of name, name one of the like top 20 food manufacturers in the world. And this person would work for one of them and they're constantly acquiring smaller food companies. And with that, they're acquiring those smaller food companies, plants with all of their plants problems mm-hmm. and the plants culture problems. Mm-hmm. And, and they said that that's really the hardest thing of their job. If yep. they could just open up new plants, everything would be fine. Yep. But, but right. So, but that's, so but wonder, opening up new plants is really expensive. It's much very, easier just to buy somebody who already has a name brand and, and then to incorporate them to, to in, inculturate them into your food safety culture. But the your problem is you're buying a whole lot of problems, which you then have to fix. Yeah, exactly. 
and I wonder if this is somewhere in the middle of that, right? Like just based on the location and the time and the names. Um, and, and so, so anyway, if, if anybody's got any insights, uh, on this, please, uh, please let us, you know, uh, key us in a little bit, but, um, but this is what the, you know, like it came across the first thing that I, uh, when I Googled friendlies manufacturing and retail LLC, cause I really couldn't, you know, I, I know friendlies from their, uh, uh their fantastic, uh, um, commercials that they showed, uh, in, uh, Syracuse, uh, and Rochester and Buffalo TV that we got across Lake Ontario in Canada. And it made me with all their Sundays and it made me want to eat there all the time. Um, but I was like, is this the same friendlies and, and it little is. Yep. Yep. So, so anyway, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, and yes, this is close to, uh, uh, to dragon boy. Dra- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that episode is entitled, uh, what if it's a service dragon? So, <laughs> Oh, good, good, good. Um, so what do we got? One more thing in, in, uh, we got feedback, 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 friendlies. I think we only have one more thing in, in feedback and it's about temperature, uh, of refrigerators. Do you want to talk about this? Yes. So, so this, um, the, you know what? Let's, let's not, uh, because I think, I think that this is uh, more suitable toward, for another show that you and I will eventually be doing. (laughs) That exists. That that exists, and and will eventually. Uh, may, you know what? Here's my goal, Ben. I th- was thinking about this. Um, l- have we we should officially talk about risky or not. Okay. Let's do it, right? So because because I'm going to post this episode that we're recording right now, which is episode 202. Um, and by the time this episode is posted, we will have another website. Uh, another another podcast which has its own website and it will all be up and running um and it's called risky or not risky or not.co and and ben it's a show about whether things are risky or not and so uh the question which we're not going to answer on this show but which you can find out about on the other show but you're not going to find out eventually anytime soon because we got a huge number of these uh (laughs) little puppies in the can um is that somebody woke up in the middle of the night um, to their spouse telling them that they found the fridge at 45 degrees and they need to throw out all of their recently purchased foods. Um, so uh, Risky or not. Risky right? or like not. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so we will talk about it. Um, uh, we, you know, well, let, let, hmm, I don't know, Ben. We, we, maybe no, we, maybe we, we, should, we should tease this a little bit because okay. there, is, there is some good stuff here. So, um, but in typical fashion, uh, I have, uh, can't find this because uh, Twitter is crap. Um, so I uh, got to find a better way to link to these tweets. Um, All right. I'm, look, I'm so, looking. I'm scrolling through your timeline. <laughs> There's Letter Kenny, Baby Yoda, <laughs> December, thir- December 31st. Oh, there we go. December 31st. Got it. Got it. All right. So, so there. So the the this person um, who's named Justin uh, uh, talks about two different things. Um, one, um, a recommendation from USDA FSIS, and then the second, um, uh, the Danger Zone article from I believe it is Food Safety News, and the amazing number uh, figure three from uh, the the Danger Zone article, which we have definitely talked about before, um, and is a kind of a different way of thinking about the danger zone and sort of. Part Parsing aspects of the danger zone into uh, into different regions. Yes, and and <laughs> that's correct. And, and so, Ben, um, what would you like to say about this tweet? 
I would like to say I'm I'm just like lost in a in a whole like uh, um, Twitter Twitter thread on reading this. I I mean so so here's how how I would handle this. And and again the teaser from uh, for risking or not is I'd say that this isn't this isn't risky. This is not something right. that I would worry about. Um, and in fact, and and you pointed this out in in your um, in your response. Uh, up I I live in a state that up until. A year ago, uh, yesterday, or a year ago, two days ago, um, refrigeration temperatures at restaurants mm. were 45 degrees. Right, um, right. So all food uh, – in now, for practical reasons, there were lots of people that were storing food at less than 45. But uh, from a safety standpoint, um, there was 45-degree uh, refrigeration temperature was allowed. You had three days of date marking on your food. But there were definitely – um, restaurants operating in our state uh, up until a year ago that that had that refrigeration temperature and no safer or less safe than a 41 because it's time and temperature and and like you said the the um, the danger zone is is not uh, a, a cold hard fast get over 41 degrees Fahrenheit and you're getting like uh, you know a log of growth every minute. Um, it, it is a time and temperature um, uh, combination. So 45 degrees is less safe than 41 over uh, a, a week, but uh, overnight it's not. Um, and so I'd say it's it's not risky. Yeah, I, w- I would also say that. Um, and uh, we'll, we will uh, uh, talk about this soon on an upcoming uh, taping of Risky or Not, and it will probably be published um, sometime in 2020, I can say, with a relatively uh, high uh, probability of being correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and before we leave Risky or Not, it's, it's yeah. really um, – it's, it's a way for us – you know, we, uh, we have been uh, – we've been told that we waffle sometimes. <laughs> uh, and in fact, we embrace that by saying that the model for the show is it's complicated and it depends. depends. Um, but, but we have, uh, some friends of the show that, that suggested that, you know, that's, that's great for, for certain things, but what if we put you on the spot and said, okay, you got a, you got a couple of minutes to say, would you eat it or would you not? Or is this riskier? Or is it not? Is it, what, what are the things that, that you would worry about? And so that's what this, um, the, you know, this new podcast, um, is about, uh, and, and it's a cool, it, it does force us to, to, to not to get out of that comfort zone of, of it's, it depends and, 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 and people and people, Ben, people that don't know us well, um, always want us to say, to, you know, give us a, a clear thumbs up, thumbs down. And I would say if my spouse awoke in the middle of the night <laughs> to tell me our fridge temperature was at 45, I would say, what the hell are you doing up in the middle of the night checking the fridge temperature? Uh, right. <laughs> uh, that's the first thing I'd say. Um, and the next thing I'd say is it's fine. Uh, we'll check it again in the morning. Oh, but the other thing too, and this is good. This is good advice. I had not seen this before. Uh, this is um, a web. We'll link to a, a web page from FSIS uh, entitled "Appliance Thermometers." What they recommend is that um, if you have a thermometer in your refrigerator, um, it's a good idea to not um, to put it actually in a container of water um, uh, because that water will will buffer right the temperature and so it'll give you a more reliable reading. And so um, certainly, uh, and this is what we do this in in the laboratory. We have thermometers that we put into. Um, uh, uh, water or oil um, to, again, to buffer the temperature changes. So you open the door and obviously the air temperature is going to drop right away. And so you want to really know what the temperature of the stuff is in the refrigerator. And so uh, using that uh, glass of water or that uh, container is a good, is a good uh, 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 trick for doing that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I really like that. That was cool. Um, 
there's one more thing I wanted to talk about mm-hmm. before before we before we go. Is there anything uh, any, this I want to end on this? And it's uh, so. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, well, I'm assuming that you don't mean um, my comment about infestations of Indian meal moths. Uh, it is not that. No. <laughs> so so Ben, um, have you have you ever? Um, been uh, quoted or referenced on uh, a website? <laughs> I have. I've, you have. Okay. I've, um, I've appeared on, on the websites. Have you ever appeared on the website for the Airport Road Church of Christ? I have not. Not well, and I say that I'm not actually. Know. As far as I know, and I, I will search my name as you as we talk about this. Uh, but no, I, I don't believe so. And I, I usually am pretty good at, uh, uh, checking my Google alerts for my name. Yeah. So, so that, that's how I found this, um, is I have a Google alert for my name because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not too proud to do that. Um, and, uh, yeah, so this is a post, uh, from December 31st, uh, 2011, um, from Mark Dillman, who is the minister of, I, I love, I love, I love the name of the church is the airport road church of Christ. I mean, I just, it's just cause it's, it's so on, great. it's probably on airport road. Yeah. Um, uh, and 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 so uh, uh, Minister Mark writes. Um uh, the five-second rule is the gold standard for determining whether or not a dropped piece of food can be salvaged or eaten. Um, popularity of this cultural belief led Donald Schaffner, that's me, to research and publish a scientific article, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But but you're what you're probably wondering, Ben, is what what is the what is the link what is the link to Christianity that uh, Minister Mark is so is so anxious to talk about? Well, um, this information may prove more helpful for relationships than food because people tend to believe something similar about connections with others. Unredemptive relationships can poison us immediately. So, Ben, don't dabble with, quote, bad company that corrupts good character, um, as, uh, as, as noted in 1 Corinthians, I believe is how you say that. <laughs> Amazing. So what I really hope, that, that it's great. So it's from, uh, again, food safety apparently finds its way to very odd places. Um, it, it starts with a Bible reading. I want to think that this was Minister Mark Dillman's sermon. Uh, for the day that, but I don't know for sure it was, but this is so great. It's like, you know what? I'm going to read, I'm going to find something about the five second rule and it's, uh, and we're going to apply it to, uh, to relationships in the Bible, uh, which is not, I don't think you thought about that when you did that work. Did you? I did not. I did not, I did not see that one coming. I mean, I, this, 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 this research has been, has had a wide reach. Uh, I've been, I've been interviewed, um, uh, around the world, television, radio, uh, newspapers, um, and but but this is my first appearance on the uh, blog of the Airport Road Church of Christ, and I'm 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 happy. I'm I'm waiting for a return visit. All right, here we go. All right. We're all waiting for the return, Don. <laughs> uh, uh, it was too easy. It was too easy. Um, all right, I think that's a show. Um, so this is a Food Safety Talk. That was episode two oh two. Um, if you want to listen to more food safety talk, you've already probably found us somewhere where there are podcasts, but all of these episodes are posted at foodsafetytalk.com and, uh, show notes are there. And, uh, until next time, Don, uh, we will, uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.
Awesome. What a great way to end that, that episode. <laughs> it was perfect. I really, I really did have an infestation of uh, Indian meal moss, but it's not really food safety related. But it turns out they <laughs> infected my bird seed. Oh no! And I, but but it was great because we. I'm like, well, you know, Kristen, we should capture one, and I'll I'll send a picture to my friends in entomology, and she she took a picture, and I just Googled it, <laughs> and I figured I out, oh, it. it's Indian meal moss. Oh, and you know what? Um, they they're uh, they're found on bird seed, and so we we checked all the food in our pantry, but we didn't check the bird seed. So whoa, yeah, bird seed now cool. lives in the garage, and then they apparently they had also infested the uh, suet. Um, so now the suet is all um, is in the garage as well. So I feel bad for all those. Uh, meal moss that are now dead from the cold, but you know they shouldn't. They shouldn't have messed with my bird food. Yeah, sorry, moss. Sorry, yeah. moss. <laughs> that's that's pretty awesome. That's cool. So, did you like just do a Google image search for it and yeah, it came yeah? Out? I just, oh, I, just I just the I reverse. Just, I just yeah. did. What did I do? I just did uh, um, something like um, um, moths in my food or moths in oh, my house, okay. and it was just oh, boom! It's the first. It, they're very distinctive looking. So um, you know. Yeah. What what I've used in the past, and I not for this, but you can take, and I wonder if this would work with your picture. There's a reverse Google image search, right? right. Yeah, that'll yeah. So it'll be like, oh yeah, it looks like this. It's this moth. Yeah, I think or yeah, I think I probably just a toilet or something. Yeah, I think I probably just Googled moths in my pantry and um and, and just like oh yeah, that's an Indian meal moth. <laughs> oh, moths in my pantry. What a great show. <laughs> we can't use that. It's in the after dark. <laughs> Um, okay. So, so our, our guy, John, yep. uh, wants to talk to us. He yep. just said he is signed into his, yeah. So I, are we good to do this right now? I'll yeah. Just, so just, uh, I'll, I'll hang up the call and then, uh, we'll, we'll, well, I don't even think we need to hang up the call. Oh, cause we don't want to record it. Yeah. Well, we're, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want a part of this recording cause yeah. So, right. Right. Okay. So, so I'll hang up the call. You will all hang up. And then I'll try and reconnect you to all, right, all so, of us. Yeah, oh. so you'll do, you'll do the reconnection. Sounds good. Oh, got it. Okay. All right, bye. <laughs> bye.